your positive, positive, positive imprint. Stories are everywhere. People and their positive action inspire positive achievements. Your PI could mean the world to you. Get ready for your positive imprint. Here is a quick side note. Even though I was social distancing, I wanted to protect my guest. Therefore, during my recorded conversation for this episode, I am wearing a mask. Hello, this is Catherine, your host of Your Positive Imprint, the variety show podcast featuring exceptional people around the world who inspire positive thought and action. Exceptional people are always rising to the challenge. And I'm so glad you're here to listen to these stories. Your Positive Imprint, what's your PI? Today's guest is a well-known music entertainer, guitarist, and composer. He's been around the block playing with bands whose music you love. But first, you can follow me on Facebook and Instagram, Your Positive Imprint, Twitter, What's Your PI? You can connect with me on LinkedIn, music by the very talented composer and pianist, Chris Knoll. Check out his fabulous music at chrisknoll.com. That's C-H-R-I-S-N-O-L-E, or on Spotify, and mm, do listen to his ham bone boogie and piano blues. He plays across the genre. What mood are you in? Well, join my email list and continue listening from my website, yourpositiveimprint.com, where I also have a convenient subscribe button for some podcast platforms. Or, as always, listen from iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or simply your favorite podcast platform. And can you do me a favor and just tap that subscribe, download, or follow button, as well as the five-star rating. I would love that support. Remember, this is a free podcast. Your Positive Imprint. What's your PI? Well, (laughs) yay! I'm able to sit down in person with my guest today, of course, social distancing and masks. Talented guitarist Michael Anthony is sharing his music and his positive imprints. He was labeled as Hollywood's go-to guitarist for over 20 years. (laughs) In fact, you can hear his guitar work in movies such as some of my absolute favorites, Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, The Fox and the Hound, and of course, TV shows like Dallas, The Flintstones, and, oh my gosh, a classic, M.A.S.H. Well, dozens and dozens of others. I have a list here, (laughs) and it is ginormous. (laughs) He's originally from New York, and now my friend Michael Anthony teaches jazz guitar at the College of Fine Arts in New Mexico, USA. And here's some trivia for you. Some of my own dancing was choreographed to Michael's own compositions. Indeed, he is a successful composer as well. He continues to entertain audiences, although on hold for now with the pandemic. But actually, not true. (laughs) You're going to entertain us today, Michael. (laughs) So, Michael Anthony, welcome to the show. Well, thank you, Catherine. It's an honor to be here. Who is that masked guitar player? (laughs) Right, and that masked interviewer. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Thanks for asking me. I'm honored. I'm totally honored. Um, 
We can talk about a lot of things. Uh, where would you like to start? Uh, I met you because you are the husband to one of my heroes in my life. My hero, too. Oh, that's great. <laughs> <laughs> that's Miss Kathy, of course, Fishback Studio, who uh, has brought dance into my life and so much positivity. And that's how I met you, which is just so exciting. And so I've been to so many of your different shows and you've entertained me through the years. And now I thank you so much for being on the show to bring. Oh, it's a pleasure. Total uh, pleasure. I'm yeah. So you're from New York. I was born in Brooklyn, New York, 1941. And uh, <clears throat> back when the Dodgers were the Brooklyn Dodgers, <laughs> for those sports fans out there. My father's Cuban. He was Cuban. And, I didn't uh, know that. Yeah. So oh. did you not know then my original name was Michael Anthony Hernandez? No, I oh. did not. <laughs> yes. And uh, uh, my mother was Italian. And her maiden name was Latiri. So, uh, but anyway, yeah, I, I dropped the uh, Hernandez back around 1960 when I was then in, in L.A. Uh, the name Hernandez was not as employable, to be very simple. And, and uh, someone had suggested to me it might be the idea of the, those early days when all, all, all people in, involved in, the, in, in show business uh, 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 chose melodic sounding names, which now doesn't matter anymore. Which I mean, is good. Which this is, is really, really good. But, so, but back in those days, it was a little bit different. So having a name that was nondescript, let's say, worked out really well. And nowadays, we got Hernandez's all over the place. We've got announcers. We've got baseball players. We've got, you know, sports people, et cetera, et cetera. And that's a wonderful thing. Well, Michael Anthony, whether it was would be Michael Anthony Hernandez or Michael Anthony, you are awesome. Well, you're very kind. Thank you. I've just been a devoted musician all my life and, and found good reason to, uh, how shall I say, follow my early... Uh, uh, my early philosophy of, uh, hey, what's life all about anyway? You know, what am I doing here? And it came upon the wisdom of reading books, et cetera, and, and, and having some experience, the idea of to be and to become, and, and uh, allowing growth when I, when I have my choices in life, and to be peaceful <laughs> when I have, have space. So uh, uh, that's my basic premise. And, and fortunately, an urge to want to be creative and productive, uh, and, and it's, uh, it's fulfilling to me, and, and it, it uh, pays off for sharing with other, other people as well. As, a, as now that I'm down the road and I'm more like my mentor, uh, it really makes me feel wonderful to see that a lot of folks are out there being professionals at what I do and still relate to me and still stay in touch, and it, it makes life very, very full and nourishing. Yeah. Now, you mentioned reading books that, that helped inspire you. So what types of books? Then I, I read books that were assigned in literature, et cetera. But then when I got to college, I read, I read, uh, I tried to read all the classics. I, I, I uh, was doing that while I was on the road with like Ray Conniff. That was about 1960 yeah. there. I was 19 years old and uh, going to Valley College. And I was inspired then to want to read the, uh, the classics, and then I found myself always attracted to philosophical books, philosophy books. Uh, when, I was, uh, uh, when I was a kid, I was in my teens and I was in California at this point, I saw that movie Cyrano de Bergerac. 
Yes. And was it Jose Ferrer who was it the star? Was. Boy, it am was. I remembering stuff or what? <laughs> uh, long-term memory. Short-term memory, not so good. But anyway, yeah, I saw that movie, and that inspired me a lot because he was the wisdom behind all the beautiful love letters <laughs> that the maiden, the fair maiden fell in love with, right? right Which right. eventually came to the surface. But what I'm getting at is the idea of these philosophers that had this wisdom inside him was, was always that thing of, hey, what's life all about anyway? And for the, 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 the studies of philosophy opened a lot of doors that way uh, for me for, for uh, pursuing various concepts of wisdom and knowledge and growth and and a productive life a positive life let's say i love that 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 i love that a positive life and so you you went into music so what inspired you yeah, uh, I, I always loved music. When I was a little boy, my mother played the radio. There we were in Brooklyn, New York, uh -huh. and there was the hit parade on. And so I, so I was born in the early 40s and, and you know, growing up in the 40s and 50s, uh, uh, listening to the radio and all those earlier tunes that were then pop, which are now classic standards, etc. Um, I loved them, and I was always humming along with the radio and, and uh, 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 being inspired by that. Uh, one year, when I was 11 years old, my parents bought me a chromatic harmonica. <clears throat> oh, cool. Yeah, I still have it, by the way. <laughs> and I can't play it, but I still have it. Um, and uh, okay, the reason for that was I liked the harmonica then. I didn't know, I wasn't into the guitar yet. But there was a guy, and he was, uh, I think it might have been Leo Diamond. He had a couple of hits on the radio on harmonica, so that attracted me. One of them was Slaughter on 10th Avenue by uh, 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 Rogers and Hart. I didn't realize that they wrote that. That was a kind of a hit in those days, and they did scenes on the TV. It was a rather tragic thing about a slaughter on 10th Avenue, but the music was gorgeous, and I loved it, and he had a hit on it on the radio. And another tune he had on was called Ruby. They say, Ruby, you're like a dream. It's a beautiful old old melody. Aww. Forgive my singing, it's horrible. But yeah, uh, okay. yeah those two, and, and like I wanted to play the harmonica. So my folks give me the harmonica. My dad, he gets the cheap harmonica. <laughs> <laughs> and he and I were competing for picking out the melodies off the radio. Oh, that, that is so much fun. What a, what a fabulous memory. He didn't. He didn't know anything about music. This uh -huh. is. This. I think I got my ear from my dad, yeah. uh, because uh, he didn't know anything about music. I never saw him do anything musically until then, and he was figuring stuff out. And uh, I was totally impressed. And so I would. I would start to figure out stuff, and that they, I'd be missing a note somewhere, and all of a sudden, oh, it's the chromatic. Oh, there it is. You know. Uh -huh. So I did that for three years, messing around with the harmonica. I often have forgotten to give that credit for my early years. You know of ear training, so to speak. So then we moved to California, and of course, 19, we moved to California in 1955, but I, I became aware of the guitar and rock music, 1950. Oh, the, yeah. <laughs> the guitar exploded, right? Les Paul uh, and Mary Ford, uh, Bill Haley and the Comets. All, I loved all that stuff. I was a kid. I liked all of that. <clears throat> we go to California, and I heard Les Paul. Suddenly, I heard Les Paul and Mary Ford, and I, I said, holy smokes, what is that? So I asked my dad if I could have a, take guitar lessons. I asked my parents, and uh, they agreed, and the, there was a guitar store right, uh, right down. Well, we're living in, 
in California on Riverside Drive. I, I walked about a quarter of a mile to Van Nuys Boulevard and a couple of blocks over, and there was a guitar sh shop where I started guitar lessons. And my dad told me, he tells me the story that somebody at work owed him a favor, and he got a guitar from them, and that's how I got my first guitar. So, uh, and, it, and that's how that all started. And how old were you when you took I your first guitar 14, lesson? I was 14. 14. It was 1955. We had just moved to California. And so my, my, my humor is that I heard three, three uh, uh, great players. I heard Les Paul, of course. He was my first guitar hero. And I heard Andre Segovia playing classical guitar. And uh, I just loved the sound of the guitar suddenly. And uh, I heard Bo Diddley. <laughs> <laughs> Bo Diddley was a big hit. And uh, and uh, that all those three things made me want to turn to the guitar. You know, yeah, I'll back yeah. up a step. That, that's a, a, a little further humor. In in Brooklyn, I went looking one day in my neighborhood for a music store because I wanted to take harmonica lessons. And uh, I walked into the store, and they're all giving guitar lessons, and I wasn't interested. Go go figure, right? Sure, absolutely. That's <laughs> and funny. and they said, hey son, what do you want to do? I said, hey, I want to take some uh, harmonica lessons. And they said, oh, we don't teach harmonica here. He said, but hey, guitar is a big thing now, you know. Andre, would you like to take some guitar lessons? I said, nah. <laughs> <laughs> Wasn't interested. <laughs> yeah. And that's what inspired you was actually their music. And it could be simply that there could have been a shift in my maturity, too. And, and it's a hard, I mean, all instruments are hard, but it's a hard instrument. You never get, you know, you're never, you're never fully a master. You're always, you're always learning and et cetera. And like dance, uh, there are things about it that, as you get older, too, it's like, oh, I used to be able to do that real easy. Now I have to kind of work <laughs> at it. You know, it's that, it's that way. Oh, yeah, I know that yeah. one real well. <laughs> and on another level, uh, in some ways, because of the musical maturity over the years, I play better than I ever did. Uh -huh. But there are certain, th it's, a, it's an interesting shift. It's like, wow, oh, look at this. And on the other hand, oh, that used to be easy. <laughs> so it's quite, a, it's an ongoing, wonderful experience. How did you apply if that's the right word but how did you start your career because this is such a long extensive career yeah fortunately for me well let me say that that i was playing uh taking lessons and at 14 at 16 i started giving guitar lessons wow and and i was working hard and going to school and i would practice as much as i can you know and when i got to college then i was practicing eight hours a day in the summertime because during during my high school years and stuff i, I had a job and uh, outside of school going on the gym team etc cetera, etc cetera, all these things and uh, so i was practicing too i really liked playing but when i finally graduated high school i was hitting it eight hours a day i got up at uh, at Eight in the morning, I'd start, I'd practice from eight to 12, and then I would take a break, two hour break, and go to the swimming pool, have lunch. Then wow. I'd practice from wow, wow. two to six, that's eight hours. Then later on in the summer, when I was really you know, full of mm -hmm. stuff that I wanted to do, then I'd take a break from six to eight and practice from eight to 10. Mm -hmm. And then that was a 10 hour day, uh, oh yeah, with, with all kinds of stuff. And the humor here is that when I what first- What humor? <laughs> <laughs> the humor here is that when I first started doing it, I was I was speaking. Uh, I met uh, Al Viola when I was in my Van Nuys High School. He came and played the jazz concert, uh -huh. introduced myself, and he was one of the first people that says, "Hey, son, if you're serious about the guitar, you got to practice eight hours a day because anybody can play ten or twenty chords. So if you're going to be in a professional guitar uh -huh. player, you got to be able to read music. You got to be able to do this, play all styles, etc. And you you got to put in the hours." 
So I took that to heart. The wild, the funny thing is, the very first day I got up and I said, okay, today's my first day. I'm going to practice eight hours. I was done in an hour and a half. That's all I knew. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know what else to do. So the discipline came later. Yeah, yeah. The, yeah. the, the plan came, uh-huh. the understanding of how to do this came as I, as I experienced it. But I was out of stuff to do in about an hour and a half the first time. Wow. So, yeah, that was the case. But I started teaching at 16. And the kind of guys, the guys I was teaching were already playing 20, 30 years, but they hadn't come along as far as I accomplished at that point just because I was, I was putting in the time. Yeah. Right. So, yeah. Okay. So then you were asking me, how did that happen? Yeah. So uh, down the road, this has to do with my mentor, Howard Roberts, uh, who's awesome guitarist, just an unbelievable jaw-dropping guitar player. I'm still in touch with his son, actually. Now Jay's 50 years old, right? He lives in uh, a Seattle area. He uh, then became twice the national, uh, what, first place rock guitar player. He, he, he entered that contest and won it two years in a row. So that's where he's at, and he's, he's an, an amazing guitarist himself. Uh, and we're still in touch. And a couple of years ago, we did a tribute to Howard. I have a CD called The Howard Rock DHR Project. Jay produced it, and we also went to the NAMM show in L.A., and we did a performance there. So uh, getting back to this, it comes back to uh, Howard. Uh, I had a plan. Somebody told me that, hey, you know, you'd be gigging all your life, whatever, and I, I was observing that the guys that were making a good living, because I was a person that I had to, uh, again, being a kind of a philosopher, is like, what do I want? with my life and with my career. And I realized I'm a family man. I don't really want to be traveling constantly and on the road, which I did my share of. Uh, uh, didn't have that yet, but I had the, the, the how shall I say, the value for that. Okay. To, to Like, who am I? Because there are a lot of people, I don't want to get married. I want to be around the world and do all these things. Right. And I realized I'm a family guy. I came from a, a, a family uh, uh, that had all these family values, et cetera. And I liked that. I liked it. I wanted to be a father, et cetera, all that kind of thing. And I wasn't going to be efficient at that or effective at that if I was constantly on the road. And uh, that's the way I was thinking at the time. Uh-huh. So what, I, what came to me was that I'm observing that there are studio musicians. Studio musicians get to stay in town, and they make good money. <laughs> <laughs> and they're the best guys in the world also. They're the best players in the world also. And I thought, that's, that's for me. That's what I wanted to do. And... Um, so as I, as I was working towards that and I wanted to learn what are the standards, what do I have to be able to do, how, how good should I be in whatever areas, and, and, and I started to collect those from various people. You gotta learn to read music, I'm repeating myself. You gotta do this, you gotta play styles, et cetera, et cetera. You should be able to, you have to be versatile. You can't just play the guitar, you need to be able to play, play the banjo. You gotta play some other instruments, the mandolin, uh, uh, some classical, folk, pop, you know, all that stuff. Okay, blues. Uh, so I got this idea about I, maybe if I then take lessons from a studio player and I show him that I get better and better and better, one day I might substitute for him. Because you were wanting to weave your, your path and your journey. Right, right. And, and was Howard one of your, in, I know he was your mentor. Yeah. Was he one of your instructors? Uh, yes, he was in, see, then I started taking oh. lessons with Howard. Okay. The lessons with him were, were just r- amazing, just wonderful. He was a, 
what endeared me to him right away was that not only was a, a great artist, he really cared about teaching and passing it on. He cared about being a good teacher. And that's number two, great artist number one, uh, uh, great teacher number two. And number three was that he uh, uh, was a continual student himself. That put the camper on for me. Because Howard was such an important person for you in your life and a mentor, and he helped you weave your path into the career that you're in now. He did. of Howard Roberts. That's that's a, a great Thank song you. that yeah. Thank you very what much. A, yeah. What a wonderful tribute to your mentor and yeah. friend. Thank and you very much. So I'll I'll make the quick connect connection here. Uh, sure enough, my plan about if I study with a, a studio player, maybe I'll be good <laughs> enough and one day I'll say, hey, you know, maybe you can fill in over here. Uh, one one year he calls me up and uh, I'm still teaching guitar 50, 60 students a week. And he says, I, I gotta give you a, a, what are you doing now? I said, nothing, Howie, come on over. I gotta give you an Uncle Howie talk. 
Uh, so I go over there and he says, "What are, you, are your goals still the same? You want to be a studio player? And I says, yes. And uh, I'm like 24 or so at this point. And he says to me, uh, well, he says, I think you're really ready. And I think you got the, I think you have the necessary qualities to be a studio player. Besides being a fine player, you have likable, you got to be likable, you have to be dependable, all of these things. And I, he says, I think you have all those qualities. And uh, so he says, why don't you just, uh, you, you're going to need to quit teaching all those students because nobody wants to hire a new guy. The only way you're going to get hired is if they're so busy they can't get all the people they're used to, and it's going to be last minute. So I quit all my students, cut to the chase. I quit all the students, and I just started teaching a little privately in my home that was more flexible rather than a store. At this point, I found out my first wife was pregnant with her <laughs> first baby, etc. Of course, all of these things happen at the same time. So uh, I, I meet him at Capitol Records to play his album, and we get there. And the album was, I think, his uh, best instrumental hits was the name of the album. I ended up playing on two tunes on this album. He's about to start the recording. I'm sitting in the booth. I'm excited. I'm, and all these classic players, fine the studio players, are on the session. And uh, uh, suddenly, the accompanying guitarist, Billy Pittman, who just turned 100, by the way, uh, went to his birthday party in Palm Springs. Uh, he got an emergency call. His kid was being rushed to the hospital with, I think, uh, appendicitis or something. Howard turns around and he looks at me and he, he weighs me out there. And I, I go out and I said, what's up, Howard? And, I'm, and now I'm getting nervous. <laughs> and he, and uh, Billy's got to go. He says, have you got your guitar, Mike? I don't know what told me to put my guitar in the trunk of the car that day. It was a hot August day. So next thing I know, I'm running out to the car. I'm carrying my guitar and my big old heavy amp into the, from the parking lot into the studio. My hands are shaking. <laughs> and he puts me in back where, where Billy was going to play, sets me up. And I start to play his part, which was, in the first tune, doubling the bass part. And it's written in bass clef. The guitar players hate bass clef, you know. <laughs> they don't like that read anyway, well, much less bass clef. And I figured it out. However, I was nervous, and I was having some troubles with it, you know. And Howard's covering for me. <laughs> so I'm, I'm sort of half getting it and half oh, not. And he's covering funny. for it. He's filling it in, yeah. And we're going along while we're running it down. And then suddenly I finally got it. When he saw I got it, then he let it go, and he could play his part. <laughs> right, right. I'm sitting next to Carol Kay, who's an iconic... Uh, a, a recording uh, a bass player from the Wrecking Crew that was well known, and uh, yeah, that was that was great. Um, so the name of the tune was uh, uh, "Coming Home, Baby." Remember that old rock tune? B -b 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 I can play a little bit of it. Anyway, in fact, let's we're we're ready for sure. some music, some more music. Yeah, Absolutely. That was the name of the tune, was Coming Home Baby, which is an old standard rock tune yeah. from the 60s, early and 60s. And although we can't hear that one, right. but... Yeah. Wow, that's a huge guitar. Oh, yeah. <laughs> this is one of my... It's just an acoustic... Uh, yeah. So anyway, we played that, and the next one was a big hit at the time called Donkashane. I ended up playing on the session those two tunes, accompanying guitar. I'll just improvise on something, huh? Sure. All right. Uh.
it so good. Well, thank Yay. you. <laughs> I love the way you get into it. We're, we're just improvising. So. <laughs> well, that was great <laughs> improvisation. Oh, how awesome. And living life and, and you being able to play for your grandkids and now your great grandkids. <laughs> yeah, that's right. It, I don't know. Did you happen to see the post that they did with uh, Juliet? Uh, we, we have a tradition we started now. If she ever f- comes through town, we, uh, we, we do a tune together, and then we, we, we vid- uh, vis- uh, video it. Oh, yeah. yeah. What did we do? Oh, yeah. She wanted to do Sunshine on My Shoulder by John Denver. And oh, we, my gosh. And we did that. So for listeners, uh, I talked about his, her grand, his granddaughter a few, well, now probably a year ago, uh, Juliet Dougherty who is in the dance movie High Strung. And right. It is such a good movie. It oh is a good movie. It's an awesome movie. It is a very well-done movie, well-directed. The dancing was fun. It was it was kind of an emotional movie. A very emotional it's, movie oh on more gosh. than one level. Yes. There was the, first of all, I want to go back to what you're saying about the talent was amazing. All of these people in New York... They were all amazing dancers yes, they and were. performers and yes. actors. They were all mm-hmm. did a, a fantastic job. The storyline was wonderful in, in, in that it was uh, multi-layered. In the fact that, that well, there was the there was the romance, right. the the romantic uh, triangle, right? And there was that, and underneath that, there was the musician, which was almost. Almost, almost took over that whole line of thing. He meets this retired pianist, right? No spoilers, but yes. Yeah, yeah, the spoiler. (laughs) And it's an amazing thing that he's, uh, yeah, just starting out. He's got all the talent. He's put in the time. He's a developed musician. And he really is a pianist, which makes it so fun because you're actually watching him play, and then you're actually watching Juliet and the rest of the dancers dance. Yes. Yeah, it's a beautiful story that way because he's kind of like a starving musician in New York at this point. As far as starving goes, you you didn't have struggles because your talent brought you into the studio very early on. I was fortunate. However, I paid my dues financially too because it's a. My mother uh, told me when I told my parents I wanted to be a musician. Of course, my father was. Uh, was all for wanting me to play. He always wanted to play the guitar, and his dad wouldn't let him, long story oh. short. He was growing up in Cuba as a boy himself. Musicians had a terrible reputation then. What's changed? Nothing's changed. But anyway, <laughs> 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 but anyway, uh, yeah, his dad had a, had a tobacco plantation in those early, early days, and he wanted him to not be a musician, right? So the fact that I wanted to play the guitar it was something my dad always wished he, he could have done. So he was totally in support of it. But my mom had the, how shall I say, a little bit of the experience uh, to know that she says to me, Michael, are you sure? You want to do this because I—it's kind of a known thing that musicians don't know where the next their next meal is coming from, and and uh, so she was being at least wise and making me think about it, what I was going to choose to do, and I, uh, <clears throat> I says you know I'm just working as hard as I can, so I think if I'm good enough, mom, I think that I will do okay. On the other hand, with her with her thought about it and her advice about being 
thinking about what I was going to do, I, I, t I did some other things to back me up, like I, I was going to college. I took the test to become a mailman. <laughs> 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 and I, uh, it took me two times, but I passed it the second yeah. time. And did, did you ever... No, I never had to do it. You never had to do never it. Never had to do it. Also, when I was in high school, I found that I had an affinity for cooking. So I was working. I started off by, by washing the dishes and the building, et cetera, in this little 10-stool burger place that my uh, uncle managed for a while. And by the end of the three years of high school, this is my, my, my first three years in California, uh, that I was then uh, uh, elevated to become a, a short order cook. I could do certain right. things. I, I'm not a fan. I would never be a fancy chef. I'd have to go to school for that. But I had a, I, I had a sense. Hey, I could flip burgers. Yeah, yeah. I could cook steaks. I could make pasta. I'm Italian. You know. <laughs> <laughs> so I could do certain basic things, and I didn't. And had to had to learn to cook breakfast. That was the challenge, uh, because breakfast is the one that thing that you could mess up real easy. Uh, the eggs they go fast. Oh yes. So they taught me. No, you know, you do the eggs last. You have to put on the toast. You put on. You know, get the bacon. And go, you do all these other things, you got the hash browns going, etc. And then when they're close, then you put on your eggs. And so they, I, they taught me how to time backwards, and I had to learn to do that. And uh, first, I did it occasionally here and there, and then later on, I got good enough to be able to take on the breakfast rush. That so was, where did you work? It was a place called the Burger Bar. The burger <laughs> it was bar. on Van Nuys Boulevard. Of course, it doesn't exist anymore. It was about a 10 stool burger place. But uh, but I worked there the whole three years I was in uh, high school. Like I said, I started out with just uh, you know taking orders and things like that. How uh, fun! So you you had that as your backup plan. So there was I had two kind of backup plans. Yeah, sure. So so my mom kind of hit me to that, so to speak. She had the, uh, the well, and and for good reason. I mean, for she good went reason. Through the depression. Right. You never know. You know. And you don't. And know. and 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 it's also true. Just because you're good doesn't mean you're going to be successful. I'm, unfortunately, I've had friends and people that I've known that were very good and talented, but they they were they didn't make it as far as being able to do well, uh, make a good living out of it. So, so those what, things happen. Why do you think? Because I'm looking at at this stack of of. All of the play, all of the bands, and all of the music, all of the TV shows, the movies, etc. Why do you think you were successful? Was it timing? Was it personality? Talent? It was the, the combination. The 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 studio business, the record, the, uh, the recording studio business, was booming. There were like sessions going on all of the time. There were. There are about eight pages of guitar players in the union book. Not all of those were, were, were studio players. I'll say maybe maybe uh, 40 or 50 of those guys were studio players. And, but they were all busy all the time. And they were running from one session to the next. And, uh, and hey, you were called the go-to guy of Hollywood, the go-to well, guitarist. I forgot who, say, who, who said that. but <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and I became, I was very fortunate. Another thing for Howard, he was a philosopher too. And, and at one point when I was like uh, 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 saying to him, yeah, but how do I, you know, how do I build this? How does this happen? He says, you do your work when you're not working because then I was at that phase where I'd get a session here and a session there. I wasn't this busy to start off with. So I would get a little bit of that in between there. I was working some gigs on the weekend, playing private parties and still doing that uh -huh. and teaching privately at my apartment, on my house, yeah, my apartment. And, uh, 
and uh, like that. So I'd make it enough money to get through if I wasn't, you know, doing sessions. If I got a session, ooh, great. Then for a while, I'd get a session here and there. Then I'd get two sessions. Then I'd got a couple of Then all of a sudden, the whole thing broke open for me. And, uh, of course, then the Carol Burnett Show came along. And... Uh, that became a steady thing, you know. And then the Flintstones, I, I got into the chair of the Flintstones. Uh, the and was that the series? Oh, yeah. The Flint, well, I, I actually, it was more than the Flintstones. It was the productions of Hanna-Barbera, which did all of Saturday morning Scooby cartoons. Doo. Exactly. All of that. All of that. Superboy. <clears throat> all of the Saturday morning cartoons. All those things. The Benji movies. Oh my goodness! I played played wow. play on all the Benji movies, and then I did that. that uh, what did you mention, Robin Hood or whatever? That was a Disney movie, and I did some of those. And um, the guy from Disney, who was Alan Roos, who was the one of those earlier big band guitar players, played with uh, Jimmy Dorsey and those kind of people. Uh, early, he he was the studio player there. He was the main guy for Disney. He retired. He was also doing all of Hanna Barbera. He retired. And my friend who was playing bass on the thing had recommended me to, to fill the space. And I did get the space. And, and then I played that uh, about the last five or six years that I was in L.A. I was the first call for Hanna-Barbera. I was about to play the Flintstones. I can't. Oh, you can't. Yeah, I can't play the Flintstones unless, unless you want to pay for the air. Yeah, no, thank you. No, thank you. So... But uh, you can play it for me when we're off, sure. off recording. <laughs> so, oh my gosh, I see here. Uh, so, MASH, which I mentioned in the intro. So, Yeah, I, I, you know what? This is one of those things where I didn't even know I played on a MASH series. <laughs> I wasn't the regular guitar player on MASH. My, uh, one of my other mentors in the studio is Tommy Tedesco, who is a well-known yes, player yes. as well. You've heard his name. Yeah, he was the guy that kind of... Uh, uh, helped new guys get started too. Howard introduced me to Tommy. Long story short, and then Tommy would have me subbing for him too, and yeah, it was kind of I like that. And I see Happy Days is on here as I well. I did a lot of Happy Days. We're talking about the music behind the episodes. Right, right, right. This is the background music, the background music. but oftentimes you'd play the the title as well. That was part of it. On the Flintstones, which was my show, we always played the theme. It, now, I'm just I'm just amazed. I'm looking. I'm just. Oh, my gosh. So the last American hero, that was oh, yeah. Laverne and Shirley. I'm just kind of going through yeah, some of these. Yeah, Laverne and Shirley did some of those. I mean, you were always in the studio. This is just the Roman holiday. That, that was Bob Hope, wasn't it? You know, you got me. Here's a funny thing, uh, uh, Catherine, and that is there's some of these things on my list there. I, I looked through and I said, what, did I play on that? <laughs> Yeah, because you were always There's, there. You yeah, the, like the MASH thing. I didn't think I did anything for MASH, but apparently I played something and they used it for MASH or something like that. So now I've got, I've got a credit that I did play a, a MASH. Wonder Woman, the, uh, the yeah. Waltons. Um, I mean, the, some of the, and then, uh, I mean, it just on and on. Well, and I'll on. cut back to Howard for a moment. He sure, says to sure. me when I was saying, you know, uh, how do I how do I put all this together? And he says, when you're not working, you practice and you you practice your 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 craft, and and you stay positive, and you um, and you do what you can to be the best musician you can be. Then the other thing you can do is the art of visualization, and he says, visualize yourself running from one session to the next. And you're a busy. You didn't have to visualize. Well, I <laughs> well, did the in the beginning. Did. I did yeah, in the beginning. Did. Yeah. Now, your, your positive imprints, obviously, 
your positive imprints have been entertaining people for decades around the world. And you also have your family. You've gone through, I mean, you're a parent who has, who's lost a, a child. So th you've lost how many? Three? So you've lost three children and... To alcoholism. To alcoholism. And so the inspiration from seeing that happen and being able to share with others who know your experiences so that you're able to help them through situations because it's through your life experiences, obviously, that inspires others as well as other people who have gone through some of the same experiences who helped you uh, become the person that you are and you had your background your very strong hold family values and and family traditions and and morals and values that kept you strong but in times like that and you don't have to talk about it but i think it's something i don't mind it's it's like therapy well, and I think it's, and, and it, it is. It doesn't bother me at all because, like you said, it, somebody out there, it might help someone out there as well. Well, one of the things that I uh, uh, observed um, was that there are different types of people. And because I have met people who have lost one child, and I've, I've lost three to alcoholism. I do have my, my remaining son uh, is doing well, doing well, but he is... I think he just celebrated his sixth year in AA himself. And um, my first wife was an alcoholic and uh, drank through her pregnancies and, and oh that dear. kind of thing. Okay. So in the early days, when nobody was kind of right into it, just like the smoking thing. Right, right. Right, in those early days, her doctor told her that uh, she could have two martinis a day during her pregnancy. Oh my goodness. But no more, but she cheated on that, you know. Uh -huh. And not to talk ill of anybody, right, but, that's, right. but that was just the, the, the sequence sure, of events absolutely. that went down. If you're an alcoholic, you don't have the control. So, and I was naive and I didn't, you know, uh, didn't know all of these things. But anyway, that all, the genes, so to speak, went into, and, and my remaining son is an AA and he told me things I didn't know about him when he shared with me his situation. Uh, but he's doing quite well with it. He runs five, ten miles. He does, uh, you know, Iron Man things and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, but what I want to get at philosophically once again is that I've had friends that have lost one child and, and, and it's, their whole life is, is done. For some reason, they could never recover from that because that happened to them. And uh, I'm not that kind of person. First of all... Uh, uh, the two, the two ones that were babies, that were uh, uh, couldn't say anything. But my older son, uh, who I had a very close relationship with, uh, Ryan, he was an artist for uh, for Walt Disney. He was a professional and artist for Walt Disney. And that's the one I remember. Yeah, and he took seven years of guitar from me, and he was talking about talent. He had a lot of stuff going on. Uh, we were saving money to send him to art school, and he figured it out on his own. He, 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 he developed a relationship with a supervisor at, at, at Disney and ultimately got tested over there. That's a whole other long story. I could spend time with <laughs> you if we're hanging out sometime. But anyway, he did well there for, for the, what, 11 or 12 years. That was his childhood dream. Um, he would be one that would want, not want me to just shrink from life just because that happened. 
because he and I would talk, we would talk on the phone for hours about all kinds of things, about his alcoholism, et cetera. And we would have laughs. I mean, he was like a, he was like a walking cartoon. That's why he was working there. He was very creative in that. And he could have you on the floor just laughing with a thought that he'd come up with looking at something going on over there. He had that kind of a mind. So, so we could talk about all kinds of stuff. It didn't fix his alcoholism. What I'm getting at, though, is he was the kind of a guy that, hey, Dad, don't you dare stop doing what you're doing, you know, because he was inspired at what he did. I did my homework. We used to have debates uh-huh. about things because he did have the depression thing and threatened suicide and things like that in those early years. Things like um, he was a manic depressive. That was the earlier bipolar is the term they used. These days. His mom was very much that. And uh, in other words, when he was a kid, he would get like, wow, this little thing happened, bang, he'd be so excited. Well, son, that's not going to happen all the time, you know. And then on the other hand, some other little thing would happen. He's way down to the bottom. Princess Diane, her death just totally crippled him. We we talked on the phone for at least three hours about that. But, uh, uh, yeah, so he, he would never want me to stop doing what I, what I did because he was inspired to do what he was do- doing. Uh, then I did my homework. I read what they call the big book, AA, and I did my homework. I read that book, and then I sp- started speaking with other people that, that uh, were alcohol, uh, AA uh, survivors, r- recovering alcoholics, and I got wisdom from them. So what I learned about addiction is that it lives a life of its own. You could talk all the logic in the world, yeah. and you could agree, and you could, you could, he could be rational, so rational on one level, but the addiction was a parasite that lived on its own. And that was something to learn that was a very hard lesson to understand, but it's a, it's a hard truth about addiction. And it is, and I'm so sorry that you lost him. And I did my my philosophizing and my understanding as best I could. And then at some point, I had to put one foot in front of the other. And what occurs to me is that uh, I've got my, uh, some kind of a plan here in my time on this earth, and I, and, I, and I need to do that, number one. And part of that plan is you've got to help other people. There's Absolutely. no reason for me to just be here and just sulk forever. That doesn't help anybody. No. So moving forward and finding a way to be a positive force in the world is what helps the world uh, to be a little bit better, hopefully. Well, and, and you've been doing a great job. You, you are always so inspiring, and you encourage with positivity. Right. You have been there for Miss Kathy uh, every step of the way. With well, I'm happy to be the man behind the great woman. <laughs> Very happy to be that. <laughs> well, you are. Yeah. But you're a great man, too. Oh, you're very kind. Thanks. And uh, you've done a lot. In, and To back up on hit records, I played on Raindrops. You know, and that was part uh, of that. Yeah. And that's played all the time. But the other one, uh, lesser known at this point, was uh, I played on two Diana Ross movies. One was called Lady Sings the Blues. Oh, and that was Michelle Legrand. He wrote the music to that. It was about Billie Holiday. The other one was, uh, there was a featured guitar on this other movie she did called Mahogany. And, oh, yes. and this was the theme from Mahogany, yes. which was called Do You Know Where You're Going To? And if you listen to that, it plays for a while, and then you hear this featured guitar. And I still have that guitar. And uh, uh, that's, that's, that's all M.A. over here. I, I, I got to do that. And there's a funny long story attached to that. But uh, I went into Capitol Records one day 
the, uh, the, the producer was Michael Masser. He was a very nice guy, kind of crazy, but a very nice guy. And, uh, and this, this, the bass player, Reiny Press, he was there, I knew him. I walk into the session, this is at Capitol Records, and uh, told me to bring an acoustic guitar, I think. Was, yeah, so I brought them. I brought my Ovation, which was the same kind of guitar that Glenn Campbell used to play. And um, uh, before Michael comes out, Reiny says to me, he says, hey, Mike, he's under his breath, and he says, don't feel bad if he sends you home. <laughs> and I, I says, well, oh, yeah, really? He says, there's been 16 other guitar players here before you, and they're all great players. And for some reason, he didn't like anything they did. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> and Tommy well, Tedesco, Larry Carl, all these, guys, all these great players were there. And for some reason, he, he sent them all home. <laughs> and so I'm there, and I'm like, oh, holy yeah, yeah. You know, <laughs> blank. So, okay. So then he plays, he put, has me put the earphones on, and he says, okay, well, what do you hear here? You know, and uh, he starts to play, and he says, not yet, not yet. He says, right about, right about letter B, you know, t tell me what you hear there. So, you know, so he goes into the booth, and he says, just kind of play something, you know. So he gets there, and I start to play, and he liked what I did. The rest is history. Funny stories about Ray Charles. <laughs> uh, he, uh, I, I played in his studio. I think you'd kind of like this. It's, it's uh, a chuckler. Uh, a couple of times in bands and doing some recordings. And so we had the whole band out there. Yeah, and, and we would, uh, he, he had this thing that everybody used to laugh about him. We all knew this. He would uh, say, uh, start the session. He would say, okay. He says, I... Uh, I don't tell anybody how to play. I never tell anybody how to play. And then he would proceed to tell you every note to play. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, of course, he was very talented, but that was, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's, That's what he did. Memory. And then down the road, he got my number. And what happened down the road, this is when Kathy and I were now married and in our house in L.A. He would call my house. This is when we had landlines, right? We didn't have cell phones yet. What's a landline? No, just yeah, teasing. Exactly, exactly. So he'd call my house. And personally, but I pick up the phone and I say, hello. And he says, hi, is this Mike Anthony? I say, yes. And he says, this is Ray Charles. Oh, wow. <laughs> and he says, hey, what are you doing uh, next Tuesday at 2 o'clock or something like that? Or can you come down now? Sometimes he would do that. <laughs> okay, Ray, I'm not doing anything now. And, and, and I would, then I would send my stuff over because I had a number. I didn't know what he'd want. Right. And he'd have me overdub something. Uh, and, uh, yeah, I did that at least three or four times. That's just really, what a, what a wonderful memory. And, and. And the fun. Well, it was a little frightening playing for him sometimes, too. Sometimes I'd be out in the center of the recording studio, and he'd have me sitting there, no, nobody else there. I've got earphones like you, and I have a music stand and, a, and, a, and, a, and a, an arrangement, uh -huh. and I'd have my guitar, and he'd have me just do wah-wah. Yeah, just do the whole thing, and uh, I would do that. Another time, I was just in the booth with him personally and plugged me right into the console, and he'd have me do some fill-ins on some, on some tune he's working on. And uh, so that's the way that one went. But there were times he would be a little bit, you know. Oh, well, he wanted <laughs> that perfect pitch. Yeah, yeah, he, exactly. <laughs> so, well, he wouldn't understand necessarily the minute. Like one time he wanted me to play an, an interval on the guitar. He wanted to play it. He, was, he hummed it to me. He liked my first lick, and he kept that. And after that, he was hearing other stuff, and I was playing whatever he would hum to me. That's what we were doing. Oh, that, so, is, that is so cool. Yeah, yeah, that was cool, but he didn't have, but I didn't, 
He, he didn't have me do my own thing anymore. He took my first thing. Yeah, but then he hummed. But that was fine. Yeah, he would say, hey, can you play me. this? Blah, blah, blah. He would hum and some blues. Did. And I think I would that's hop pretty him, amazing. And then he would run the tape and we would put it on, you know, that kind of thing. But there were times, there was this one time, he says, okay, I want you to go, blah, boy. And I go, no, 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 no. Well, that's the right, that's what you hum. Yeah, but I don't want it that way. And he wanted me to bend the string all the way up to it. I go, well, I can't bend it on these, the, the string will break. It's not, you know, <laughs> it's not loose enough to bend that large an interval. Well, why can't you? It was kind of like that. It's like the guitar just doesn't do that. Well, why not? And he would be mad and he'd be yelling at me. <laughs> then he'd make me feel like, okay, I'm done. He's never going to call me again. <laughs> But, but then, then he, he called. Then he calls yeah. me two weeks later. You know, <laughs> so that's that experience. So this is part of this. Just to give you an idea, it wasn't all roses. There was a lot of politics and 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 uh, this uh, a lot of this kind of thing in in, in uh, recording business music. Absolutely. My basic philosophy is that life's about balance. And that balance, part of that balance, is a lot of ingredients that can go in there, and uh, part of it is being inspired, and being interested. And being positive, because what does negativity offer the world? Nothing, you know, not much. But uh, for me, positivity helps everyone to move forward. Moving forward in a in, in a good way, I think, is extremely meaningful and nourishing to everyone. Thank you for that. Well, thank and you. So we're going to end with a song, another improvisation. Oh, okay. If you'd like and. <laughs> Michael Anthony, thank you so much. And life is about balance and to be and become. And you have become a wonderful positive imprint for humanity. Well, <laughs> you're kind. Thanks. Yes. Well, I'll just play a little blues here. Okay. okay. Life is about balance, and I'm so glad that you balanced everything to share your positive imprints and the wonderful music through the decades. Thank you, Catherine. I'm very honored. Thanks. Thank you. You are listening to Your Positive Imprint. What's your P.I.?
My website is yourpositiveimprint.com. Please subscribe or follow this podcast, Your Positive Imprint. What's your P.I.?